Hello, my name is Wang Yan, and I'm a reporter with News China. With our weekly News China podcast, we aim to give insight into the trends and happenings in modern China through a historical lens. Today, we discuss how Asian private collectors contributed to our public museums today. One day, more than 2,000 years ago, Emperor Yuan of China's Western Han Dynasty and his concubines were watching animal baiting. Suddenly, a black bear jumped out of the enclosure and attacked the spectators. The emperor and his concubines were scared and ran away. But one of the concubines, Feng Yuan, did not. She stood right in front of the bear, while two guards tried to stop the bear with their long spears. She later explained to the emperor that she did this to defend him because fierce beasts would usually stop their attack when they had grabbed one person. The emperor was very grateful. About 400 years later, during the Eastern Jin Dynasty, Chinese artist Gu Kaizhi drew a picture showing the moment that Feng faced the bear without any fear. He also drew another 11 pictures, each about a woman known for her virtue. He did this to illustrate a book on preaching to women how to behave well. The 12 pictures of the 12 women are collectively titled The Admonition Scroll, which is the first Asian traditional Chinese painting we know today. Gu Kaizhi is one of the greatest artists in China's history. He paid a lot of attention to the demeanor and spirit of the people in his pictures. This theory and practice had a far-reaching influence on Chinese artists. None of Gu's authentic work remains today. One of the two copies that people today can see is a reproduction by an unknown artist during the Southern Song Dynasty between the early 12th and late 13th century. It was on display at a painting exhibition from May 1st to June 25th at the Palace Museum in Beijing. All of the 55 exhibits were used to educate royal members in ancient China. The other copy is an earlier, better reproduction during the Tang Dynasty kept at the British Museum. Two reproductions of another Gukaiju's masterpiece, the Nymph of the Law River, are also part of the most precious collections of the Palace Museum and the British Museum. Between 1942 and 1945, during World War II, China, Britain, and the U.S. resisted the Japanese army in the then-British colony of Burma. Japan intended to make Southeast Asia a source of strategic supplies like oil and rubber. At the time, the road between Rangoon, today's Yangon, and southwest China's Yunnan province was the only route by which international aid supplies could be transported to China. Later, Britain asked China to choose between the return of the town version of the Admonition Scroll or being given a submarine equipped with the best technology. The Chinese government, led by the Kuomintang, who were struggling in the war, chose the submarine. The town version of the Admonition Scroll was remained at the British Museum, where visitors can see it twice a year. The British Museum and the Palace Museum are the world's largest museums 
if they are measured by different standards. The British Museum's collection holds over 8 million objects, more than any other museum in the world. The Palace Museum is built on an area of 1.12 million square kilometers, larger than any other museum in the world. Early collections at the two museums mainly came from private collectors. Sir Hans Sloan, a physician, donated his collection of 71,000 items to his country when he died in 1753 on the condition that 20,000 pounds would be paid to his heirs and a free public museum was built. The British Museum opened to the public six years later in 1759. The Palace Museum was still the residence of Chinese emperors at that time, known as the Forbidden City. It was the 24th year of the rule of the Chinese Emperor Qianlong of the Qing Dynasty, China's last imperial dynasty. He would stay on the throne for another 36 years. TV series about his romantic private life have been popular in China in recent decades. In those stories, he likes writing poems and traveling. It is true that he was keen on literature and the arts and collected a lot of curiosities, calligraphy works, and paintings. He registered all his collections and uh, put them on file. He stamped his favorite calligraphy works and paintings with various seals with different inscriptions. For example, the inscription of Sanxi Tang was one of his seals, which was the name of his study room. Another seal carried the inscription Father of the Emperor because he abdicated the throne to his son later. His obsession with collecting antiques and putting his seals on the ancient calligraphy and paintings might have been inspired by another enthusiastic collector. Nearly half of the Qing's royal collection of calligraphy and paintings, which were created before the Yuan Dynasty, came from a wealthy man called Xiang Yuanbian, who was born in 1525 during the Ming Dynasty. Born to an extremely rich family, Xiang had no need or desire to work hard. He refused an official position offered by Emperor Wanli of the Ming Dynasty, who ruled from 1573 to 1620. His only interest was collecting ancient curiosities, calligraphy, and paintings. He was able to buy nearly all the precious antiquities that could be found in eastern China, in the areas that are today Jiangsu and Zhejiang provinces, which even then were economically and culturally prosperous as they are today. One of his favorites was a seven-stringed flanked instrument with the inscription Tianlai, meaning heavenly voice, which was probably made during or before the third century. Xiang loved it so much that he built a special museum called the Tower of Heavenly Voice in Jiaxing City, Zhejiang Province, where he lived, to house the instrument and other precious antiques. The instrument is housed in the Palace Museum now. Xiang spent all day in the tower appreciating his collection or putting his seals on the calligraphy works and paintings he valued the most. He once stamped 198 seals on one calligraphy piece. 
Later, Emperor Qianlong acquired it and found no space was left for him to stamp his own seals. So he stamped his own seals over the written calligraphy words. Xiang devised a special way to catalog his collections. He wrote one character from the thousand-character classic on each calligraphy piece or painting he collected. The text is a book used for children's early education in ancient times. Based on this, Meng Tongwen, a prestigious Chinese historian who died in 1999, estimated that Xiang held 2,190 calligraphy and painting items. When Xiang died in 1590, the Ming Dynasty had already declined amid its own corruption. It fell after a peasant-led rebellion and attacks from the Manchu army. Xiang's descendants fled. The Tower of Heavenly Voice was destroyed in the chaos, and most of the precious collections in the tower including most of the 2,190 calligraphy and painting items that were acquired by the Qing court later. In total, recorded royal collection of ancient calligraphy and paintings amounted to 4,600 pieces. Xiang's collection made up nearly half of the Qing's royal collection of ancient calligraphy and paintings. But many objects from the Qing court collections were lost in the early years of the 20th century. Puyi, the last Qing emperor, was only six years old when the Qing was overthrown by revolutionaries. He was allowed to continue to live in the Forbidden City. He used his younger brother Pu Jie to smuggle and transport some 1,200 precious Asian calligraphy works and paintings out of the palace. He wanted to use the treasures to fund his planned restoration and his luxurious life if he was driven out of the palace. Enox also stole some objects. Puyi was expelled from the Forbidden City in 1924, and as he expected, he lived on the proceeds of selling some of the treasures he and his family had taken from the palace. To avoid any further losses, the imperial residence was turned into a public museum the same year. A 21-member council was elected to run the museum. The first president of the council was Li Shizeng, whose father, Li Hongzhao, was a tutor of Emperor Tongzhi. Tongzhi's mother, Empress Dowager Cixi, controlled the Qing's politics for half a century from 1861 Cixi favored Li Shizeng, treating him as an honorary son. But Li Shizeng grew up to become a revolutionary. He had no interest in seeking an official position. He promoted and practiced the idea of reviving the weak China through entrepreneurship and education. He saw numerous precious antics, but believed tofu. An ordinary food made of soybeans was the best cultural heritage of China. He studied agriculture and chemistry in France and set up a company to make tofu. He used the rich profits from his tofu business to sponsor young Chinese people to study in France and offered them internships. But Li Shizong did not have enough time to check and protect the antiques in the palace museum. 
He was forced to leave Beijing as he opposed the ruling government, which changed frequently and was dominated by different warlords. A lot of antiques were lost and taken abroad. Even utensils and tools, once used by the imperial household in the Forbidden City, were kept in two different palace museums, one in Beijing and the other in Taipei. There were 5,788 museums in the Chinese mainland by the end of 2020, which received 540 million visits that year, along with hundreds of millions of online visits, according to the National Cultural Heritage Administration of China. Beijing has announced its ambition to become a city of museums. Thousands of events, including an Asian painting exhibition with the Gu Kaijis Admonition Scroll at the Palace Museum were held around China between April and June to celebrate the 45th International Museum Day on May 18. Visiting museums has become an important part of life for Chinese people. That is the end of our podcast. Thank you to our writer Song Yimin, editor and translator Li Jia, and copy editor Kathleen Nade. We hope you enjoyed it, and thank you for listening. See you next week.